Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth that we're finding in Romans as we continue our study. We just pray, Lord, that you'd continue to open up our hearts and minds to your truth. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, that we might rest and rely on your word, and that we might live by it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. As we have progressed through Romans chapter 11, a recurring theme has been a warning to the Gentiles against spiritual pride. This pride could manifest itself by looking at the Jewish people at the time of this writing in the book of Romans and their rejection of Christ and being puffed up as a Gentile. Gentiles accepted, Jews rejected. And you'll see this again in our focal passage in Romans 11. And today we're going to study verse 25 in Romans 11. And it says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So here again, he is warning the Gentile believer in the church of Rome, be careful. And you can see that in our focal passage, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. And that could still be the case today. As we look at the Hebrew people of old, you could look at Old Testament prophecy and decide that you would have seen Jesus the Messiah in the prophecy of the Old Testament if you were a Jew living in that time. You could look at the legalism of the New Testament of the Jews and declare that if you were a Jew at the time, you would find yourself being graceful and not legalistic. However, we need to remind ourselves that even our faith, the ability to recognize God and walk with Him in faith is a gift. It is not of us. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Your faith is not of yourselves. It goes on and says, it is the gift of God. So since my faith is a gift, I have absolutely nothing to brag about. Self-promotion, self-righteousness does not work at the throne of God. It is only His grace. 
And any revelation that we have in Scripture, the ability to read the Word of God and to understand it, is not due to our intellect, our logic, our ability. It is only due to the fact that once we've accepted Christ in grace, which is a gift, we've received the indwelling of the Spirit, and through the indwelling of the Spirit, the veil's been lifted from our eyes, and we understand the words and truths of God. We have nothing to be prideful about. We have no merit. We have no standing before the throne of God. The only thing that we have is the grace that has been placed upon us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's something else that Paul is reminding us in these verses in Romans 11.25. He is telling us that there is something going on on in God's plan with the Jews and the Gentiles. Look at 25 again. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Why should we not be prideful? Because it was part of God's plan. Having the Jews reject was part of God's plan. So that you and I could receive the grace of God. And in fact, a couple of Sundays ago, I quoted Galatians 3. And I think it bears re-quoting. The third chapter of Galatians verse 5 Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture For seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Let me read that again in verse 8. In the scripture, for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, And you all nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Centuries and centuries ago, as God entered into a covenant with Abraham, he foretold his plan. And that plan would be that pagan Gentiles would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only do you see it in that covenant relationship that God had with Abraham, You also see it in the prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 65 in verse 1 when the Lord said, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. It's us. 
It's the Gentile people. And here in Romans 11, Paul is telling us, don't be prideful because God had a plan. And that plan was to offer salvation to the Gentiles and have the Gentiles accept. But not only did God have a plan, he also had a timeline. Look back at our focal passage again. It says at the latter part of verse 25 that blindness in part has happened to Israel until until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So God had a plan and he also has a timeline. And that timeline is until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In other words, there's an end to it. There's an end to it. Now, as a quick aside... Personally, as I look at Old Testament prophecy, as I look at the covenant of Abraham, and as I see that promise that Gentiles would turn to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ centuries before the New Testament church would come about, it gives me great faith. It encourages me in my faith. Because we know it's a historical fact that Yahweh, Jehovah God, was given to the people of the Hebrews. And as God engaged in a covenant relationship with Abraham, Father Abraham, and as he revealed himself throughout the Hebrew timeline and Hebrew history, until... The cross. And at the cross, there was a change. The time of the Gentiles. And here, century after century after century, we can look that God continues to call believers to a saving faith. It is His plan. And you and I can witness His plan throughout history. It's real. The atheist will say, well, how do you know that God is real? How do you know that God's alive? Well, this is one of the reasons that I know that God's alive. He told us what his plan would be. He told us what it would be in the Old Testament. He told it to Abraham. He told it to Isaiah. He told it to the Old Testament prophets that the Hebrew people would reject And the Gentile people would accept. And we've been seeing it played out century after century. God is alive. He told us what would happen. And it's coming about. Now, there's a timeline. Because he said that Israel would reject until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Let me give you some examples of when that timeline is going to end. First turn with me to the 21st chapter of Luke. And these are the words of Jesus, and they're very important regarding the fullness of the time of the Gentiles. 
It says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant. And to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be a great distress in the land and wrath upon his people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away by captives into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now let's put a timeline on this because I think it's very important. This is Jesus before the cross. It's widely accepted that Jesus Christ was crucified around 33 AD. It's widely accepted that Paul wrote the Church of Rome 23 years later, 56 AD. Here, Jesus Christ is prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem. It is a historical fact that Jerusalem fell in 70 AD. Jerusalem fell. In fact, if you go to Rome and you stand outside the Colosseum, you will sit there and look at an arch. And in that arch, there's pictures of the Roman victors having the Jews in tow behind them. And they're holding up a Torah and they're holding up all of the treasures of the fall of Jerusalem. It's a historical fact. In other words, nearly 40 years before Jerusalem would actually fall, Jesus Christ told us that Jerusalem would fall and there would be a desolation. And then he said there would be a time of the Gentiles. And that time of the Gentiles began when the Gentile people started accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see it in the Bible. You can see it in history. It is alive. It is God's truth. And we're still living in it. We're still living in the time of the Gentiles. When does it end? It ends at the beginning of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Turn with me in Revelation 19. In Revelation 19, starting in verse 17. John wrote these words. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven. Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. That you may eat the flesh of kings. The flesh of captains. The flesh of mighty men. The flesh of horses and those who sit on them. And the flesh of all people. Free and slave. Both small and Great. In other words, all the world's armies, all the world's armies will be gathered together, all of the rulers, all of the Gentile rulers, and they will be destroyed. And the time of the Gentiles will come to an end because Jesus Christ will be the victor and he will sit on the throne and he will rule the earth for a thousand years. There is a plan and there is a timeline. Thirdly, there is a party of people. 
a plan, a time, in a party of people. What do I mean by a party of people? Let's look back at our focal passage. Do not be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Well, what do I mean by party? Does it mean that all of the Gentiles will accept? Of course not. But we do see where earlier in Romans... In fact, in this very chapter, Paul tells us that the Jews would reject and the Gentiles would accept. In verse 11, it says, I say then they have stumbled that they should fall, certainly not, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. But we know that not all Gentiles accept. But we also know that there is a specific group. A specific group. The fullness of the Gentiles. Fullness in time and fullness in party. Fullness in time and fullness in party. Now first let me give you an analogy. If I have an eight ounce glass, how much water can I put in an eight ounce glass? Eight ounces, right? Can't be more, can't be less. It's specific. There's a specific amount of ounces that I can put in an eight ounce glass. Just as when Paul tells us in the fullness of the Gentiles, not only is he referring to time, but he's also being specific to the number in the party. And in fact, if you look at Revelation 13, 5, and while it deals with the deception of the Antichrist, there's some overall general biblical truth that is important to mention. Revelation 13 verse 5, remember I already read through Revelation 19 when all of the world's armies would be destroyed, so we're kind of going back in Revelation to Revelation 13 as we look at the Antichrist, and he says, and he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, as we're seeing John write the book of Revelation, and as he refers to Antichrist during the time of tribulation, we also see that there is a specific number of people in the party. Yes, we see that believers can't be deceived by the Antichrist in these verses. But we also see that there is a specific number of people because he's not leaving it open, is he? Everybody will be deceived except. Everybody will be deceived except. And he doesn't say everybody who will be deceived except smart people 
or logical people or people who stumble upon God. He says, no, everybody will be deceived except whose names are written in the book of life. Well, when were those names written? He tells us from the foundation of the world. Before the beginning of time, God wrote the name of everybody who would accept him in the book. And those are people that he picked. We believe in election. In other words, God has a plan. God has a timeline with the Gentile people. And there is a specific number of people that he is working his will in his way through. Now, some people say, well, I don't like that. In fact, I've had some really heated discussions about this very topic. But all throughout the Bible, you see that God has a plan. Let me give you a couple of other examples. Galatians chapter 4. And you're going to see this word, fullness, again. Galatians 4, verse 3. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come. That's a timeline, isn't it? When the fullness of the time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. God had a timeline of when Jesus would appear. And in fact, I preached through the prophecy of Daniel on that. You can look at that at Sermon Audio. I think the title is called Just in Time. When you look at the triumphal entry, it happened exactly in the number of days that Daniel prophesied about. There is a plan. God is working his his plan. The fullness of the time. God has a plan. In Ephesians 1 verse 7, we see that phrase again, fullness. Ephesians 1 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, let me read that again, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, there again, timeline, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. All throughout the Bible, God has a plan. God has a plan. You see it. Over and over again. Part of that plan is, is that men, as we get closer to the end of times, will continue to get worse. I think we're there. I think we're there. I think that we need to be prepared. I think that we need to recognize that persecution for believers will just continue to get worse. That evilness will continue to get worse. Now, as we look at all of the evil that we are encountering in society, one could approach that with great stress. 
And that's easy to do. For us to turn on the TV, surf the internet, read the paper, and just be stressed out. Because it is. It's stressful. But as a believer, we don't have to do that. And I'm not suggesting that we stick our head in the sand. I'm not suggesting that we have a holy huddle or that we remove ourselves from society. Because the Bible does say we're to be salt and light, right? I'm saying that we can rest in the power of God knowing that we have witnessed Him at work century after century as He's established His church in Jesus Christ. And we can rest in the truth that He is in control. He's in control. I don't have to be stressed out. You don't have to be stressed out. We know how the story ends, don't we? We know that the story ends where Jesus Christ is on His throne, where we're at the feet of Jesus, where we are in heaven, where all of the pain and the suffering and the disease and everything's been removed and we are in our transformed bodies and we're in the presence of Christ. And that's what I can rest in. And I feel like we're getting closer. And the rest of the world is continuing on to get deeper and deeper and deeper in sin. Look at the ridiculous things that we see debated in government at this point. It is absolutely crazy when you sit there and think that in the halls of the most powerful nation on earth... We are debating whether or not a man can have a baby. Now that's stupid. But that's where we find ourselves. And as believers, we need to rest in the power of God and rest in His timeline and rest in His truth. Because if He could tell me all of those things that were going to happen... Centuries ago, as I can look in today's world and see, yes, there's a New Testament church. Yes, there's Gentiles that believe. Yes, there's Gentiles that continue to believe. I know that if He can do those things, that the future is secure. The future is promising. Not for those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, but the future is promising and hopeful and longed for by the believers of Jesus Christ. And we need to tell that story to a lost and dying world so that those who will accept Him will give their life to Him and find peace and joy and contentment. My friends, the church isn't about defeat. The church is victorious. It's triumphant. And we will reign with Him, as it tells us in Scripture, as a people of God. Join me in prayer, please. Lord, as we come to You this morning, I just pray that if there's someone listening that does not know You, that's never placed their faith in the saving power of Jesus Christ, 
I pray, Lord, they'd do it today. I pray that they would walk away from the systems of this world, walk away from their own self-pride and their sin, and they'd repent and cling to the cross of Jesus and His mercy and grace. I pray, Lord, that we as believers might not live a life of defeat, that we might not live a life of worry, but we might recognize that the day is getting closer to the triumphant appearing of Jesus Christ in the second coming. I pray, Lord, that we would stand as a witness, that you would use us, that you would give us boldness to proclaim your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.